0: It's your lucky week because Ronnie and Devin are with you for a second time in a single week. Um, We wanted to touch base with another important guest who wasn't able to make it on our Tuesday show, uh, Evan Daniels of 24 seven sports, director of recruiting and scouting for for that company. Um, He'll be on a little bit later, but Ronnie, we wanted to start with, I don't know, a little bit of NFL draft stuff um it's gonna be interesting to see what they do and how it's done because we might see a similar you know approach with the nba draft on june 25th um so the nfl draft begins thursday um the day we were recording this podcast and it looks like from from everything i've read they're going to do everything remotely ronnie from uh, the commissioner announcing picks to uh the uh the teams themselves, uh, you know making those picks from yeah. their homes or yeah. Yeah. you know i don't really i i usually watch you know the first round of the nfl draft maybe like the first i don't know 15 picks and then yeah. i kind of follow it on twitter or whatever but i think i may tune in a little bit longer just to see how this goes
1: yeah that makes sense you know you want to obviously uh entities are going to mock other amenities that are very similar you know in terms of whether it's a media company or a sports league. So that, that, that will be interesting as you, as you mentioned, um, you know, obviously the NFL draft is, is, uh, format and, and the way they do it is in the way it's developed is way different than basketball because there's so many more picks that are, like you said, some of the greatest picks ever in, in NFL draft history, nobody's ever watched because it's the second day and it's in the fifth round or something like that. You, you just don't see that that much. in um, in basketball where you, you know, you may have a, 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 a hit later, but it, it's only two rounds. It's been two rounds for, for many, many years now. And, and we know usually the, the, uh, the guys that really hit are the top picks. I mean, that's just the way the nature of the beast. So uh, it's funny, Devin, how much stuff's changed this weekend, upcoming weekend, as you're listening to this pod, it was supposed to be a huge weekend in Las Vegas. They were going to have this big, Bells and whistles production with the players on a ferry in the middle of the Bellagio (laughs) water, like being introduced to the commissioner. And, you know, it's supposed to be this big production. They were expecting a huge weekend. Like, I mean, Super Bowl fight night type weekend. And then look at what we have now. Just, you know, people wondering when we're getting back to work. Uh, I know, Devin, you probably saw a little bit of that clip of the Las Vegas mayor and Anderson Cooper, and it's just yeah. like imagine, we, you know, imagine where we were two months ago to that, and like it's just, you know, who has the right answer, and nobody does to when this is going to go back. We do notice, Devin, in Southern California, I know people are various places uh, in California and all over the country, like it's getting warmer, and me and you and others are seeing like more people out and more cars out
0: yeah uh the 405 is getting a, getting busier and busier by the day. I'm not sure you know exactly what it means if people are you know going to the beach or whatever I'm not sure but yeah I, I did see that clip with the Las Vegas mayor and clearly if she had uh control over what Vegas did um Goodell would be on that ferry uh riding to get <laughs> riding to get those players and taking them to the stage for sure um yeah it's I'm curious um to see what this all looks like and how like they're going to do like what we're doing on like a Google meet and they have, you know, multiple screens for which teams are picking. And then like, do they know in advance which player is going to be picked? So they have that guy ready on the screen to, you know, show his celebration with his family or by himself or however it may be. Um, But, you know, Todd McShay on, on Twitter just, uh, announced that he, uh, is recovering from coronavirus so he won't be on the draft coverage uh, we, we wish the best for him to you know get healthy as soon as possible uh, so that's that's another uh interesting wrinkle there is you know uh how the the draft analysts are also going to be in play because yeah. you know, as you know nba draft and nfl draft um a lot of what people tune into is to see what the quote-unquote experts think of these specific draft picks and then sure. five years down the line when, you know, there's a bust, you know, people bring that up and trash the analysts trash and the, the scouts. Right. Yeah. Or when there's somebody who got picked in a late round, they bring that up as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Todd McShay's kind of been on that, uh, you know, or on ESPN's coverage for a long time. Now, obviously, he's not as old or been around as long as Mal Kuyper Jr. And Devin, I remember when that guy, uh, Kuyper Jr., kind of came out of the scene, and obviously the big thing that kind of made him famous in a way was the Colts run office guy when he was like, well, who the hell is Miles Kuyper Jr. With, with picking with Dilfer and Marshall Falk in that 1994 draft, obviously the great running back out of San Diego State from Louisiana who uh, the Colts took second and obviously turned out to be a good pick. And, you know, it was kind of like Heath Shuler and I think Trent Dilfer and a few other quarterbacks that were at the top of that heap in that draft. So switching over to the NBA draft, Devin, uh, I wanted to mention we were kind of talking about the 87 draft with uh, our last two pods kind of tied in with the Baltimore Dunbar team, had three of the picks in the first round, and we talked about Scottie Pippen going fifth to Seattle, who he was obviously traded to Chicago. Funny that – you know, I was mentioning a couple of the picks. The name I couldn't think of was Dennis Hobson out of Ohio State. He went third to the Nets. He only played five years. It was actually not a good pick compared to the guys who were drafted around him, and that's the Nets. You know, I mean, that's that's what the Nets are kind of known for to people that are not big Nets fans. You know, it's kind of like Dr. J and a bunch of bad picks. <laughs> so right. then you go you go to uh, Kenny Smith, who was pick six behind Scotty. Obviously, he... We we know you know of him and of him. His son played at Modern Day. He um, you know he's well versed on the grassroots scene. The New York Guard, who helped the Houston Rockets win two titles, uh, even olden Paulanis has been on the scene with his son. His son is another Southern California player who just played a couple years ago at Grant High School in the San Fernando Valley. Um, the one pick I wanted to mention was Reggie Miller. A few picks later than Paulanis at eleven, before Muggsy Bogues at twelve. The reason I said that is because you brought up the the uh, remote cameras and stuff. I remember when Reggie was at UCLA and they were at his house in Riverside. And his sister Cheryl was sitting there and his family. And they were like, um, the Indiana Pacers at number 11, you know, David Stern, whoever it was, select Reggie Miller. Right. And they, his family's happy. And there's actually a reporter in his home. And obviously people know who Cheryl Miller is at that time, uh, you know, and Reggie's kind of being, you know, people more starting to more know about him. And they went to Indiana. Now you got to remember, Steve Alford was the favorite son. He was on the 84 Olympic team with Jordan and those guys. Yeah. And For Bobby Knight. And the Pacers fans were just ripping the pick. I mean, like, you know, they showed it. You know, it was just like. What are they doing? They should have drafted. They, they were like inter, interviewing ladies coming out of the supermarket. What are we What are we doing? Not getting offered. Are they stu- Indiana Pacers or idiots? I mean, they were just going on and on. And it's funny. That was, you know, 30 or 32 years ago whatever the case may be, 33 years ago. And it's funny how they had the cameras, like you said, kind of to get the reaction of the players remotely. And uh, Steve Alford's family was just like really quiet and... And just like really monotone in their in their home, to get their reaction and and I mean credit to Donnie Walsh and, and the other guys in in the Patriots front office they made the right pick. So what what the point I'm bringing is so what what memory do you have of like watching the draft and it being a big moment or a bad pick or a great pick or somebody's reaction? What kind of what memories do you have there over the years of the draft?
0: I mean, for the most part, the one that sticks out most in my mind being a Lakers fan growing up was when the Lakers on draft day traded for Kobe Bryant. That's yeah. really, that's really the the one that immediately pops into my head and me being what I was 96 Ronnie or 90, yeah. Yeah, 96 draft. I was, uh, yeah, I was yeah. Nine, nine, 10 years old. Um, uh, yeah. but yeah, it was just, you know, damn, who's Kobe Bryant, you know, came straight from high school. Uh, you know, my dad was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure about this. You know, a high school kid trading Vlade yeah. Divac, you know. Vlade Divac's a, a legit, you know, NBA center, and he was. Vlad was a good player, um, sure. productive, you know, talented. Um, he played in, a, in the NBA finals in 91 with the Lakers against the Bulls. So he was yeah. a proven, you know, a proven productive center in the NBA back when centers in the NBA were kind of, you know, the marquee position, right? So sure, sure. I remember my dad and my grandpa just kind of being like, who is this guy? Uh, you know, they didn't really like the way, you know, he kind of had a little confidence, kind of arrogance to him or whatever. But sure. uh, for me as a, as a nine, 10 year old kid, it was, it was intriguing to see in, uh, someone who, you know, wasn't that much older than I was because he was 17, 18 at the time, uh, get drafted into the, into the NBA and that's one of the memories that i remember and, and obviously the lebron james draft um where darko milicic went second over carmelo anthony um carmelo anthony yeah. i think had one of the more underrated you know college seasons of all time his his freshman year yeah. at, at syracuse was just one for the ages and the fact yeah. that the pistons passed him up at 2 to go with a um uh foreign yeah, well, player with where darko was was asinine to me uh i thought comrade anthony was the surefire number two pick and then dwayne wade went number five correct to miami yeah. um yeah you know, I know a whole lot about him because he wasn't you know that marquee player at at marquette but you know th- that worked out for them who was number four in that draft chris bosh right from georgia tech
1: and i think chris bosh so that all, sounds about yeah yeah so it, it all stuck except for darko i right. i think at that Kevin, with Dirk Nowitzki at the uh, Nike uh, Hoop Summit in 98, he really blew up. And, you know, people were just looking for that next, I guess, foreign or European talent. It just kind of swept the league for a little while. Um, And I think the Pistons got caught up in that. Joe Dumars, I think, at the time was their GM or one of the guys making the the top of the decisions. And Joe's a great player. But, yeah, I mean – I'm kind of with you there. I remember arguing with people um, that the, uh, I remember arguing with people that I go, this high school kid is better than Carmelo. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like this guy's dominant I'm like, dude, this high school player is just as good as him, if not better. I go, I understand that he doesn't, he didn't play the competition. He's playing high school players. I'm like, he's more athletic. He's, a better version of him basically and they're like yeah Carmelo should be the uh number one pick or or you know right there with them and i mean you know as good as Carmelo is yeah LeBron is uh just that much a little better so yeah that was a big moment i remember that you know i think uh, Brandon Jennings not being in the in the um kind of in the quote unquote green room and still going in the draft and he was at his own separate function and he kind of was like the Fu to the league, like how I still got drafted, because remember he was overseas for a year. Yeah. So uh, now it seems like a little more, less, uh, little less like suspense, Devin. Um, you know, the it just seems like the top high school players and a few mixed in foreigners are just going to be the top picks. Almost it seems like does regardless of what happens with the college season, yeah. it's,
0: it's predictable. just predictable. It's predictable. You you can tell. Yeah. You know the top, you know top ten, high school guys, and then you know the, the Luka Doncic's or uh, yeah. the last couple of years. There's been some misses on on foreign players, whether it's Frank Nicotina from uh, the Knicks. But yeah, like you said, usually the top five high school, top five to ten high school players, and uh, the more decorated uh, international players are the guys who end up after college or if they go overseas for a year or what it may, whatever it may be. Those guys end up being the top picks in their respective drafts. Do you think that's because of the emphasis and, I guess, heightened interest in mock drafting and NBA GMs taking those guys' opinions uh, you know, at a higher rate than they have in the past maybe? um i think that i think uh
1: people form their opinions on the draft way soon sooner than they used to okay like you know uh we already have 221 mock drafts and we'll talk about that in a minute um but yeah it, it it seems that there's more you know i mean non guys who are getting paid by the nba franchises to make these picks that have bigger influences whether it's uh you know aaron smith at madraft.net or or jonathan Gaboni and, and 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 mike schmitz at draft express with ESPN, various guys of that nature they just have a bigger uh footing in that part of the the game um yeah. you know you know whether that's good or bad is not for me and you to decide that's it's it is what it is um you know it it Everybody's taking an opinion of somebody of somebody's opinion. So it's it's similar to a McDonald's all-American voter, right? They talk to people. I always tell people this, they're like, Well, you know, the McDonald's committee. I'm like, Well, the McDonald's committee, the poor it's the most some of the most important people on it are who those guys trust. Right. You know what I mean? So similar similar with this, uh what with, with you know, with NBA front office, who do they trust? We don't know that because it that that's personal relationships and that's the basis of of uh basketball in essence is relationships so you know for good or for for bad or good this is where we are and uh you know Devin. obviously we got anthony edwards kind of looked at as one of the first surefire picks in the 220 draft and we go to 221 we already got the top guys like i'm looking at this one mock draft right now and This is 221 mock draft and it's Kate Cunningham, Jonathan Kamina, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Green. So that segues into these national players of the year this year. Uh, The one I do with the uh, Mr. Basketball USA with the the 10 member panel committee, uh, the committee chose Cunningham, uh, Kate Cunningham, the top player for Montverde Academy number one team in the country. Basically it's 10 voters, they pick on a, a 10 point must system in essence, 10 points for the first vote, nine points for the second vote, eight points for the third vote, on down to one point for the 10th vote. And Jalen Green, Kate Cunningham and Evan Mobley were the only three prospects that appeared on all 10 ballots. Um, Green got 90, uh, 77 points to come into third place Jalen green
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mobley 81 points and Cade Cunningham 95 points so Cade was number one and all the ballers except three so he came in second and two of them and came in fourth on one uh, Evan Mobley was a little more uh, had a bigger range Devin uh, very interesting because the, locally, his honors weren't as high this year. You know, the local local papers and, and statewide. But nationally, people still think he's obviously a really great player and prospect. Uh, two, two number one votes. But also, he came in seventh on one ballot. And he came in uh, fifth on another. Uh, Green was mostly number two or number three on all the ballots that yeah. he appeared. So uh, you know, coming in fourth was Amani Bates, the sophomore uh, from Michigan Lincoln. yes he flancy. I'm not sure I'm saying the city right. I don't know how to say that the name of that city. Lincoln High School, there in Michigan. Uh, great, terrific town. He but he had a big gap. There was a big gap. He only got 48 points. Appeared on eight ballots. So what's your highline take on on that voting, Devin? The the outcome and and uh, Amani Bates being a distant fourth to those seniors.
0: Well, you know, my opinion on yeah. national players of the year awards, whether it be high school, college, yeah. NBA, for me, is the best player on the best team. Yeah. And that's how it should be And Kate Cunningham. For me, was the obvious pick there. Uh, so yeah. I think your voters on your panel got it right. And then we look at Evan Mobley being number two, uh, I don't think Evan Mobley had as good of a year as a lot of people expected him to have Sure. Uh, from an offensive standpoint. And a lot of that wasn't really his fault because he didn't get as many touches as I thought he should have. Defensively, there's no, there's no doubting Evan Mobley's ability and his impact on the game. But from games that we saw Ronnie, like that game against um, Etiwanda in the, was at the SoCal regional semifinals? Yeah. We were there at that game and, if I'm remembering correctly, he had seven points in that game. And there there were times where you and I were, were like sitting there like, Hey man, like it's time for you to take control. But a lot of the times, as, as we know with, with Evan and Rancho Christian, he just didn't get touches in, in uh, a spot where he could, you know, make that offensive aggressive move uh, without being a guy forcing the issue. And that's just not his nature. He doesn't force the issue. So.
1: Yeah. He just didn't put his stamp on the, That game, or on a certain aspects of either the playoffs, or like he just didn't put his stamp on like this. I'm the guy. I'm dominating, and I'm gonna lead this team to where it needs to go. It just never happened
0: for whatever reason. He was named the Wooten Award selection, which is the Player of the Year based on uh, McDonald's All American Game uh, uh, selections. He he won that award, and I can see why. But for me, again, it's Cade Cunningham. And then Imani Bates, uh, this is – I mean I, I get you know why Imani Bates is, is considered in these awards, just overall talent and uh, yeah. long-term projection. I see why he's considered in these awards, but I think your voters, again, got it right with Jalen Green being three, two or three is is kind of where I put Jalen Green, either one yeah. of those two, uh, and then Bates being four, a distant four. That makes sense to me. But Bates was, you know, named the the first sophomore to ever win Gatorade National Player of the Year. But it, again, for me, it's Cade Cunningham without a doubt because yeah. his team went 25-0 with a difficult national schedule. He's the best player on that that team. That's how I see awards.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, I just look at it from the standpoint of you're putting Imani Bates. You know, wow, because you look back. Uh, in 2001, you know, LeBron wasn't the player of the year as a, as a sophomore. Now, he, he made our All-American team then as a first five player, which he deserved. And he was quickly showing that he was, like, the best player in high school. And and uh, for Bates to be basically elevated over him or even, like, going back to, like, Luau Sindor or the really <laughs> – wow, greatest high school players of all time. None of them ever won national player of the year as a sophomore. So that's putting him in some really rare, rare air there. I kind of agree with you. I think the voters got him right. Um, You know, I was talking to uh, one of the coaches who was going to be at Geico. And I think for Jalen Green, that's where the COVID-19 comes into play a bit. I think because they were gonna open with montverde so again let's say and this is prolific and that's quote unquote big moment for this year if if uh they were gonna go you know let's say he has 35 points in that game and they lose by four
0: i think that could have made an impact on the voting later on you know i agree if he if they go in there and they they you know upset somebody in the first round or beat whoever they have in the first round yeah. and then Upset someone in the second round. You know, Jalen Green could have catapulted himself into the number one or number two talks. That, that's you know, but yeah, a lot in of- a big moment. I don't think for obviously Evan Mobley couldn't go to that yeah. event. Uh
1: right. Kate Cunningham have already proved it. Yeah. Even with modest statistics, he only averaged 13.9 points, about six assists, because they had a, a great team, like you mentioned. But yeah, for they were gonna open up as the A seed against Montverde. So, like you said, that would have been a huge moment for him. Sure. Win or lose, and if they win that game, and then they have another game the next day, he's on national TV again. Like you mentioned, that I think that's where uh, you know what's happening with coronavirus has kind of affected uh, you know some of these honors. Let me run down the other honors real quick. Uh, the junior of the year was Patrick Baldwin, whose dad is at the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, coach by the same name from. Hamilton High School in Sussex, Wisconsin. Small forward type, Devin 6'8, I know you like his game. Imani Bates is the obvious no-brainer sophomore of the year. Um, and then the freshman of the year was DJ Wagner, uh, the son of Dewan Wagner. I think that's a little more interesting and closer because you have Mikey Williams and a few other big name freshmen. And when you look at DJ, he was a leading scorer on a nationally ranked team that has Lance Ware, who's a pretty good player, who's a high major prospect. And, and DJ averaged 18.5 points. Uh, the team went 29-1. and 1. They were the number one team in New Jersey, 18 in the Fab 50. And they won their uh, groups, group sectional title, I guess they call it the South Jersey Group 2. So they were on the you know, they were the number going to be the one of the favorites or the favorite to win the tournament of champions there in New Jersey. And then the season got cut short. Yeah. Um, Interesting enough, they played Rancho Christian and he had a good game. He was really consistent for a freshman scoring. He never had more than 32 points in one game, but he averaged 18 and a half. So you can, as you can tell by those numbers, he hit 20 a lot. And, um, you know, interesting. They played Rancho Christian and so did Mikey Williams team. So, Mikey Williams has a big game offensively, but DJ Wagner's team wins that game. So, right. you know, I, I think the the winning and the, being one of the leading players on a winning team helped DJ in that regard.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. Uh, I think a lot of times people get people get um, kind of mixed up when it comes to selecting any award, any national yeah. award, whether it's high school or college, whatever with trying to be too cute, trying to select the one that's going to get them the most clicks. Yeah. The wise or, you know, the the most intriguing prospect rather than comparing resumes and actually yeah. breaking down the numbers and comparing, you know, teams they played. Like if you look at – maybe you take a, a team that Lincoln lost to and, uh, and say, okay, would Cade Cunningham's Montverde team lose to this team? Yeah. Oh, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that is, is how I – Yeah. I took some heat for my all Southern California teams. Um, As I told you this story, I got, you know, a handful of texts, you know, calling me, you know, trash, don't know what I'm talking about, blah, whatever. But for some of the picks that I made, but I spent, you know, hours and hours and hours comparing resumes and how a specific player impacted winning based on, you know, uh, the importance to their roster and things like that. While, while my selections are more on a smaller scale, uh, being a regional type of list, sure. uh, it's still the same. For me, it's still the same process. Yeah, same process. Yeah, you have to weigh, you know, uh, resume, you know, who they played, record, how they fared against, you know, top competition, how they fared in one-on-one matchups, things like that where yeah. – you know, I weigh playing in a, a sectional or regional final uh, over, you know, losing in the second round and a guy scoring, you know, 25 to 26 points a game for his team. I think winning, I guess I put a, a bigger emphasis on winning than some people do. What do you think, Ronnie?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you on that. When you select local things, again, look at BJ Boston, Cal High Mr. Basketball by other people. He was in Southern California player of the year, I, I don't think at the beginning of the season we thought that, especially with Evan Mobley being basically right there for national player of the year. Yeah. Again, if you picked Evan Mobley national player of the year, you, you it wasn't based on the game-by-game following of the guys. And that's right. what you're trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. Like you said, I think the panel got it right this year. Um, you know, in 2019, Isaiah Stewart, you know, some people didn't uh, agree with that. Per se, I would say I think some people thought Cole Anthony was been the pick, and then even 2018 was real pointed because the selection was RJ Barrett over Zion Williamson. Zion missed 10 games. Uh, RJ Barrett's team was number one in the country, similar to Cade Cunningham. They didn't lose. They probably weren't as dominant. They weren't as dominant as this Montverde team, but they didn't lose, and they played, and they did get to play in Geico. They did play a, a, a tough schedule, so uh very interesting how that that plays out and see how they progress in their careers and like we said those guys those three guys that we mentioned those three seniors green Cunningham, and Mobley are right at the top of that draft board already the the early draft boards for 221 with jonathan Kaminga, who by all types and purposes great talent uh he was ineligible at the beginning of the season First of all, New New Jersey starts really late, Devin. They don't get to start to like December 18th or 19th. Right. And he had to sit out. Then he had some injuries, so their team never gelled. Mm-hmm. And then the season was over. It's like, mm-hmm. what's the, what's the time frame between the time he got eligible? Let's just say, for lack of better purpose, January 1st to when COVID 19 hit. Yeah, March 7th. That's he didn't have much of a complete season. Just didn't work for him. But he's a terrific prospect, and maybe he is one of the top picks in next year's draft in two twenty one. Yes, a lot of things can happen. But like you said, and right now, based on what we said 10, 15 minutes ago, it looks like Green, Mobley, and, and Cunningham will be at the top of that board for the most part. No doubt. In what order, we don't know. But
0: unless, unless like Green is probably gonna is gonna remain there. Yeah. Um, I see Cunningham also probably remaining in that spot just because he's a guard, right? And guards yeah. always have the ball in their hands and are able to showcase their abilities more. Evan Mobley, I mean, big men, it's it's tough with big men in, in college basketball in general. I mean, if he can do have a similar impact as Onyeka Okongwu did at USC uh, this past season, Evan Mobley will remain in that lottery pick range or the top yeah. 10 range, right? Um, but if there's any any struggle of getting him the ball offensively, and uh, you know him not not living up to the expectations of being a, a top three, top two recruit in the country, um, you could see stock fall. And with big men, especially nowadays, it's difficult for them to get the touches they need uh, because of just what the way the game is now. That's, yeah. that's that's where the worry is on that. But yeah, like you said, those those top ten high school guys and, you know, a handful of international guys are going to be, you know, the the odds on favorites to remain in the lottery. Unless yeah. there's unless there's some crazy, you know, outside thing. Someone gets injured, hopefully not, um, or just has a really bad freshman season in college.
1: Yeah. It just seems like you mentioned that point, of bad freshman season. It's like, unless those guys completely fall off the map. To me, sometimes lately it's seen that the, College statistics or the college, the way the season transpires out doesn't even matter to the draft. Okay. Just, I, I've seen that. I maybe I'm maybe I'm wet behind the ears there a little bit. Maybe I'm not looking deep dive into the stats as much as I should or into the season. But it seems like to me that uh RJ Barrett was gonna be a a, a top pick regardless if he shot a higher percentage or even if he had. More volume
0: shooting than he did. Okay. Maybe. You think? You think if he shot fifteen percent from three at Duke, he still would have been a top five pick?
1: Unfortunately, I see right now. Yeah, and I still see yeah. if he would have been forty-five percent, he still would have uh, been at the same pick. They still wouldn't have gone, you know, over his 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 teammate Zion. So, you uh, know, it just seemed like, like you said, as we talked about that older draft, that what the players did meant a lot more. But maybe. Uh, Maybe they do consider that, and it seems like this year, and hopefully, we'll have Evan Daniels on here in a moment. That they're going to have even less um window to see these players because of what's going on, so it's going to be even more tricky. Yeah, you're not going to be on, you're not going to hear people saying, Man, so and so is really killing it in the summer workouts, yeah. you know. Yeah, you, it's going to be even more based on reputation, you know. They'll, Those summer workouts and those fall workouts for colleges are just huge. They're just huge. To start talking about what's going on with players or even guys who maybe uh, weren't top ten guys, Devin, that are really starting to kick
0: butt, you know? Yep. Yep. Ryan, I think we have Evan Daniels on the line. Evan, do we have you? Yes, sir. Hey, man, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. No problem.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So we were just uh, discussing some of the, you know, kind of national player of the year high school awards where Imani Bates took Gatorade player of the year. Uh, Cade Cunningham won the Mr. Basketball USA that uh, Ronnie uh, has a panel that puts together. And then you have Evan Mobley winning the Wooten award. Um, I'm not sure if you selected one yourself, but if you did, who would you have picked?
2: Yeah, I think there's some great options. I think I probably would have gone with Cade Cunningham. Uh, because uh, his team was undefeated. I I thought he was the best player on the best high school team in the country. Uh, But you could certainly make a case for Evan Mobley. You could certainly make a case for Imani Bates or Jalen Green. Uh, There are some really good options this year. Uh, And that's what makes ranking this class so difficult, especially at the top, is there's some really good players at the top uh, in 2020. But I I went with Cade, and I think he's progressively gotten better over the last uh, year. Uh, and, and that was proven by his three-point percentage in his senior season. He shot 47% from three, and that's always been his weakness. Um, so I, I would have gone with Cade.
1: Makes sense. Evan, um, you talked about Jalen Green. You mentioned him. He, he's been at that top tier as well. He could have been a, a strong candidate. So we, we, we go to Isaiah Todd and Jalen Green. Their decisions obviously big news in this recruiting circles. And you, you spoke to G League president Sharif Abdul-Rahim. Uh, you know, give us the highlight. Why is the NB invested in this initiative?
2: Well, I, I think they saw an opportunity to uh, help with development, and uh, I had a pretty extensive conversation with Sharif about this. And they they saw an opportunity, and uh, they they've came out with this initiative a little over eighteen months ago, and since. Um, the start of it, they've made a, quite a few adjustments to it. It, it really doesn't even look like um, your normal G-League program at all. They're going to start a select team and uh, the players that opt to sign up for it are, are going to be on this uh, newly constructed team and they're not going to be playing against a um, normal G-League schedule. They, they will play some some games against g Leagues, but it'll also uh, be against the NBA academies. It'll be against national teams. Um, It's really a whole reconstructed deal. Um, But I I think to answer your question, the NBA just saw an opportunity to help out with development and they wanted to create another option uh, for these kids outside of college because, you know, look, we saw R.J. Hampton and LaBello Ball go to the NBL last year, and we saw GMs and scouts spending two weeks overseas, uh, where if those guys are in L.A., um they can make a, a a simple you know quick flight to la and be home in a couple days so I, I think it just made sense for the nba uh, who considers themselves the best developmental um league in the in the um in the world uh to to play a part in this
1: it makes sense evan um yeah you, you as you mentioned you know sharif gave you some good insight there so based on your conversations with him how many prospects do you think that they are really list- realistically looking at each year until perhaps the prep to pro prep route is opened up? You know, how, how many guys may be on this team that are two thousand twenty guys or young players on this developmental team?
2: You know, that's a good question, and I, I think it's going to uh, vary year to year, Ronnie. Uh, and that's exactly what Sharif told me. And look, they're going to this, this. This process isn't for everyone. This program isn't for everyone uh since Isaiah Todd and Jalen Green announced this is what they were doing uh, uh Sharif abdul Rahim and Rod Strickland's phones have been blowing up with people wanting to learn more about it um but this is for the elite of the elite this is for some of the best players in the country uh that don't want to go the college route that are looking for an alternative path and and maybe want to get to the money a little quicker or just don't want to play college basketball or don't want to go to school so uh, it's not for everyone. I, I would guess that they get three to six guys a year uh, to go down this route. I, I, they've got two now. I think they'll at least get one or two more, uh, maybe more, uh, this year. And and then we'll see what happens next year. But I I would I would guesstimate at, at right now being between three and six a year.
0: Yeah, it seems like you know Green and Todd are kind of the perfect guys that they're looking to target. You know, guys who have you know been wavering on that that playing in college or going to college were. Michigan and, you know, Memphis or Auburn, you know, Green's final two, were they surprised at all when when they made this decision?
2: Uh, no. Yeah. Honestly, no. Um, I, you know, I think the week before that there was a pretty good chance that Jalen Green was going to Memphis, and okay. I think that's where he would have ended up had he gone to college. Um, I think it's pretty clear that Jalen Green always wanted to go the professional route never really wanted to go to college uh, if you just, you know, look at his actions over the last couple of years. I actually found a story I wrote on him back from April of two thousand eighteen where he told me if the, the rules changed he could go straight to the NBA. That's what he would do. Um so I, I think the pro path has always been what he's wanted. And I think it's probably a situation where they needed to get the money up with the G League and um they the, the NBA G League decided that they had to be a little more aggressive in the marketplace, uh, especially when, when they considered that there were other leagues um, offering potentially significant more than the initial $125,000 they were willing to invest in a player. So okay. I, I think it, it, a lot about it was getting the money, right?
0: Yeah. And Jalen greens, I mean, based on reports, his base, you know, salary with the G league contract is $500,000. And then, you know, he has the opportunity to, to, to make money off its name, image, and likeness and, you know, shoe deals and things of that nature. Um, It's a very intriguing route for, like you said, the top three to six of the elite players. Um, How does it look at the college level with, you know, the Dukes, Kentuckys, North Carolinas and Blue Bloods, you know, who usually target these players? Is there going to be, I don't know, a a rift between the two parties um, in going after these players and targeting them?
2: I don't know if there'll be a um i don't I don't know if there'll be a tip between the two sides, but I think it's got to be something that uh, college coaches have to be aware of and realize that they're recruiting against um, because some of these top guys are most certainly going to be fielding phone calls from the G league, and some of them are going to strongly consider it some of them aren't, and I think it's important that schools identify that and know what they get, they're get? they getting themselves into. Look, Michigan didn't do anything wrong by taking Isaiah Todd's commitment, but they knew all along that there was a chance he would go pro. He ended up doing that. They still needed to go do that process. They still, you know, I don't think they would have changed anything. They probably still would have taken him. But they also knew that there was a chance that he could leave, and it's just something that those guys have to be prepared for.
0: Gotcha.
1: Evan, um, you know, do you think – it's been talked a lot – regardless in the last couple years, this amateurism, the the notion of amateurism, the notion of compensating uh, student athletes, do you look at it as a caliber, a player caliber of Green's level that if he's not offered some kind of control over his name, image, and likeness going forward, that a player in in Green's category is really not going to consider college as much anymore, just based on what's been happening with um you know kids or or people who are advocate for kids are trying to push that very heavily do you do you see that at all
2: um I mean I don't think it's that black and white I think that every scenario in each kid is different and there are some that like Jalen that want that route and want that option and want to be able to make some money but there's going to be plenty of others that still want the experience of college basketball and not everyone is going to be able to do the route that Jalen Green is. Uh, so I don't know that it's that black and white. Um, I think if kids were allowed to make money off their name, image, and likeness, it might um, be a way to combat this type of um, thing that the G League is putting together. You know, if, if uh, a kid can go to a Duke or Kentucky or Kansas and, and make a couple hundred thousand dollars, a top-tier guy, off of his name, image, image and likeness. Maybe that read of $500,000 that they're going to get offered by the G League uh, isn't as appealing because you can go to college, and it's pro- college has is pro- is proven to be, a, at least to this point, the, be- the better place to build your brand. And you can ask Zion Williamson that question. Um, you know, he, he without, what, without him going to Duke, he would have been able to go into the NBA with the brand that he had built. Um, so I I guess to answer your question is I think it's a little more complicated than that, but I think, um, I think that name, image, and likeness for elite level college basketball players could potentially come back the salary, um, and gives another reason, uh, to try and potentially pursue those type of guys to college.
1: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. As you mentioned, uh, Duke games were as well watched as as NBA telecast the year that Zion was there. So that makes sense. Let's switch to the the NBA draft a little bit, uh, Evan, uh, for 220. Who would you like at the top besides uh, Anthony Edwards right now?
2: Well, yeah, it's obvious that I like Anthony Edwards. He's number one on my board.
1: Uh, I, I like James Wiseman. Uh, he only
2: played a couple games. I actually thought he answered some questions in those games. would have obviously liked to have seen him more. Um, I think he does a great job of rim running. Uh, he can protect the rim. He's got good hands, got nice touch around the basket. Um, so I like him uh, right after him at two. And then I think it, it gets interesting. I personally have Obi Toppin at three. I think he's a pretty safe pick. In terms of some sleepers, uh, I don't know if you call Aaron with a sleeper anymore, but because he was at Vanderbilt and missed half the season, not a lot of people are talking about him. But he's uh, he's the best shooter in the draft to me. And uh, a guy in Leandro Balmero out of Spain, I think, is a really good sleeper. 6'6 kid with good speed and skill. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go somewhere near the lottery or in the top 20.
0: Evan, LaMelo Ball is kind of, you know, a polarizing draft figure. Some may call him, you know, kind of an enigma because you don't really know what he's going to be. Um, the, the talent is kind of undeniable, but, you know, there's, there's other things surrounding him that, you know, make you know, GMs may hesitate or have question marks about where are you hearing or where do you think he may land uh, range wise?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And you're right. He's a tough evaluation because he is extremely talented and you know, anybody that saw him during the season this year or went through his tape uh, this year uh, knows that he's continued to progress and continued to get better. And uh, he's obviously uh, really creative at that position and can do some nice things. Um, That said, you know if i'm an nba gm i would really have trouble drafting him uh, because of everything that surrounded him um it you know it's at times been a, a side circus and I, I think when you see situations like that i would almost rather somebody else take that gamble than me
0: interesting
1: yeah that's a this a strong point and it makes sense you know um he obviously has some talent is like you said you have to uh you have to you have the talent reward ratio for what you get out of that, the per talent production ratio. So risk reward is definitely, definitely an issue there. Um, his high school teammate, his old high school teammate, Evan, Arnekin okongu from USC, his name shot up the draft boards because of his play during the season. Well, you know, what What do you think the reasons were he wasn't projected that high coming out of Chino Hills when, as he stayed there and as his friend went overseas?
2: Well, I mean, he was still a top 20 to 25 player, um, but he wasn't the top 10 player, um, that I guess you would translate over to being, you know, a potential top 10 pick in the draft, um, from he, he, I, I think he was just so productive this year. He played hard, he competed, he was physical, um, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I liked him coming out of high school. I think we had him somewhere in the early 20s. I don't remember the exact spot off top of my head. It he clearly wasn't high enough. Um, but I thought what he did in college uh, was really impressive. And uh, I think what he, some of his strengths uh, really translate to the collegiate game. I think he's going to be a tremendous rebounder. I mean, to the NBA game, he's going to be a tremendous rebounder. Um, he plays with such great energy and physicality um, that he could come in and and uh, be a, a ban out of bio type, or uh, a guy like I like that. And I think um, I think he really grew on a lot of people throughout the season, and used his his one year at USC to to really uh, help and improve his stock, but also get better.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned Obi Toppin as a as a safe pick, who's probably going to have a, a long NBA career. Are there any mid to late round guys that you see in, in a similar mold to to that, being a guy who can come in and immediately? help an NBA team and, and, you know, remain in, in the NBA for the long haul?
2: You know, that's a great question. I, I'm instantly off the top. And I, I think Aaron Nathemith
0: okay. is
2: going to be a really, really good player one day. Um, you know, we only got to see him for part of the year, but the way he shot the ball uh, this season was pretty remarkable, better than 50% from three on a, a large amount of attempts. Um if he had played the whole season, he was on pace to finish with the most three-point attempts in the country. He's got good size. Uh, I think he could still improve as a defender, um, but I, I like I like his ability to shoot, and I think his game plays. Um, I think his game fits with uh, what what the NBA is looking for.
0: Gotcha,
1: Evan. Uh, as we get to wrapping up, let's jump to two twenty-one real quick. We just talked about. Those top tier guys as high school players right now, Green, Cunningham, Mobley, etc. Um, now switching to the 221 draft. Do you like Green, or whom is it that you like at the top? And obviously, it's all a lot based on high school. And obviously, we didn't have like the Nike Hoop Summit. We didn't have some of these end of the season uh, events to give us a bigger window to to watch. So, what do you see right now, 221 early on?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's. The the top is is Kay Cunningham, Jalen Green, Nevin Mobley. I, I think those, in my opinion, is the top tier. That that's those are the guys that I think have have separated themselves. I will say this: this 2020 high school class and you know the 2020 draft class is going to be pretty strong because I think uh, Zaire Williams is a, a a tremendous talent. B.J. Boston used a really good season. And it's gotten better. Scotty Barnes has a lot of ability. Terrence Clark, like Greg Brown's an elite athlete. Josh Christopher's an elite scorer. There's a lot of really good options. Um, you know, I, I, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, those three to me have separated themselves from the pack. Uh, and if you're looking towards that draft, uh, I would say that, you know, those would be my top three at the current moment but there's also a guy like John Kaminga who very well could reclassify to 2020. And then you throw him in the mix. Uh, So it's early, but that 2021 NBA draft is looking pretty good at the top.
0: Yeah, for sure. You mentioned Greg Brown and uh, I'll get you out of here after this question. Greg Brown is going to announce his decision Friday. um, And he has the G league in the mix uh, among, you know, as many colleges as you can, as you can name off the top of your head. Um, if, if he chooses the G league and then this thing continues to snowball and catch on with future classes, what is the, what does college basketball look like, uh, five years from now?
2: I don't know that we have a full picture, honestly. And I, I, one, I don't think Greg Brown's going to the G league as of today. I would, I, I think he's trending towards Texas, but two, this is a, this is a weird time in our country. And, um, you know, we don't know if, uh, without this pandemic, would Isaiah Todd or or Jalen Green, could they have potentially ended up in the NBL? Uh, I think it's a possibility. Uh-huh. Um, because of the pandemic, I don't think we're seeing anyone, uh, we're going to see anyone go overseas this year. Mm-hmm. So I think that made the G League a more valuable option. And then when they raised their stakes in terms of their monetary investment per player, uh, it It made it um, a pretty good option for those guys i I think i don't know that we'll be able to answer that question for a year or two or or maybe three because i I think we have such a small sample size of one how many guys if you are going to take two, how many are interested in it because like i said it 's not going to be for everybody it 's going to be for the jalen greens it's going to be for uh, i 'm a core maker or um a lamello ball you know i i just don't i, I think there's going to be a couple um uh, but i don't think it has this as of now i don't think it's going to just like totally ruin college basketball because i don't there's not going to be enough spots in the nba g league for them to take 30 guys it's yeah. it's not going to be that it's going to be a select small group now okay. it, it it is going to impact some of the star power in college basketball i think that's certainly going to be an impact
0: Got it. Got it. Evan, thanks so much for joining us, man. And I know you have your own podcast, so give it a plug real quick before you head off.
2: Well, I appreciate that, man. You can actually find all my work over uh, on 24 seven digitally, or uh, watch me uh, on FS one uh, on the biggie show. Um, don't currently have a podcast right now, but okay. doing some podcast type stuff digitally over at 24 seven. So um, you can check, check me out there or on Twitter at, at Evan Daniels. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Evan. Thanks for having
0: me. Yep. See you guys later. Um, like you said, he, um, you know, Eric said that, um, back on Tuesday, Eric Bossy from rival said that, you know, he kind of expects, um, college basketball to go back to three to four year guys where, yeah. you know, Evan said, we don't know yet. And that, that makes, that makes sense. But he, he sees more of the impact being of the, you know, you know, taking away the major stars,
1: star power
0: yeah uh, yeah and, and potentially you know like a Memphis getting a Jalen Green or you know uh, uh, maybe a, a big time player going to a, a mid-level type school and that school's you know ticket sale revenue or uh, TV revenue money maybe taking a hit maybe
1: yeah uh, I, I think it brings up a good point about the star power I think college basketball has survived it Devin and I try to tell that to younger guys. I'm like, oh, they're like the players are so much bigger. They train so much more. They're they're 220 pounds. They used to be 180 pounds, that kind of thing. And I'm like, guys, Kel- Kobe Bryant at Duke or Tracy McGrady at Florida or, whatever, or Kevin Garnett at Michigan or Maryland, you know how good they would have been? Like college right. basketball survived without them. It, it right. it'll, it'll last, you know. Tyson Chandler going to UCLA. I mean, I can keep going on and on. LeBron at Ohio State, it would have been ridiculous how big he would have been. But the college game survives. The college game has survived scandal. The college game has survived uh, many things, you know. Uh, You know, stars coming and going. And and it'll survive this. I think both of our guests this week are right. It'll survive. Um, I do think that some colleges – I'm with Eric Bossy. I do think that some colleges should be – looking way more at trying to really develop over two, three years, really good teams. And I also get Evan's point about the star power not being there. So, uh, you know, what's your kind of uh, highline take in in those two points?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. You know, it's college basketball, you know, and NBA basketball have kind of evolved from, um, you know, maybe an emphasis on taking a three- to four-year guy in the draft in the 80s and early 90s maybe to the, you know, you know, the a couple guys taking the straight out of high school to college route for those few years that that started with Garnett and I guess Sean Kemp can be considered in that that manner because he played junior college for maybe one semester, Ronnie. And yeah, then he went,
1: went, he might have played one game at the he didn't
0: even right. play this.
1: Game so yeah he
0: basically straight to yeah. And then Kobe yeah. Bryant, Tracy McGrady, those are other, you know, um, successful examples of that, and then the one and done. You know, it's obviously survived that, and in some cases, it's helped college basketball with the Zion Williamson, um, yeah. the and Anthony Davis, Anthony yeah, Davis. You know, all you know, you can yeah. name. Yeah, Carmelo Anthony. You can name a handful of guys who have you know elevated college basketball for that one season that they were there. But for the most part, you look at you know past Final Fours, past you know NCAA championship games, and a lot of the teams who were in those games were teams that were developed and built over two to three years, like you said, with yeah. a good mix of seniors, juniors, sophomores, and maybe you know a, a freshman here or there. Um, yeah. A lot of the times the, the team with the highlight one and done guys don't really make that deep run into the NCAA tournament. Uh, yeah. I know there are examples of that, but for the most part, the teams who get to the Final Four uh, national championship game and win the national championship game are like a Villanova or a Virginia with yeah. teams with guys who have maybe, you know, a That's solid freshman class, but have juniors and seniors who lead the team. That's kind of what I'm seeing nowadays. And obviously it's still a good college basketball is still a good product. Uh, watch. It's still a good product. I, I'm still going to watch it because I like basketball. So if, if you're just a, a guy who loves the game, you're you're not going to, uh, not tune in because Jalen Green's not playing for Memphis or Isaiah Todd's not playing for Michigan. Maybe no. this maybe this helps the G League get some more fans in the in the door or gain some more momentum that way and get some games on TV and people watch the games on TV. But right now, Ronnie, if you say okay, you can pick between uh, the LA Defenders against I'm not even sure what another team name is uh, sure. G League another G League team. You can watch that game with Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd uh, on that specific SoCal Select team that Evan was talking about. Or you can choose, I don't know, uh, Duke, North Carolina uh, in an ACC matchup. Um, I don't know, man. Yeah. I'm probably watching Duke, North Carolina, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think most people around
1: the country still watching Duke, North Carolina. Again, it's ingrained 30, 40 years of equity being on TV. You gain fans. You People know about it. People know – okay, yeah, Duke, North Carolina, that's usually on a Tuesday night or a Saturday night. Yeah. They kind of have it ingrained in their head. A big college game is on a weekend night or midday on a Saturday. Like, when does the G League play? I don't even know. Like, do they play, like, not, Yeah. do they play right before an NBA game? Do they play, uh, what time are they on TV? Midnight? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't care right now. Unless, yeah. till you give me a reason to care, then I'll care. You know what <laughs> I I just don't care. I right. don't give a shit right now. It's just what it is. Now maybe we'll care more in the future, but yeah. right now you can you have uh, consumption patterns, right? Yeah. You watch right. now you- on Sunday. You watch college football on Saturday, you watch big college games on Saturday or Sunday afternoon and on Tuesday night or Thursday night. That's what it is. So where does the G League fit into that with all the other things we have to consume?
0: That's a great question. And I think if you look at our, the way we operate on a daily basis, um, under normal circumstances, we're not in those circumstances right now, but Saturday and Sunday we're at an event. So we're not even really watching that much college fork, anyways. But if you, if we go back to the hypothetical world, uh, which my wife loves to live in, um, and I don't, but, um, if you say, okay, Jalen green, Greg Brown, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Todd, Evan Mobley, Cade Cunningham, uh, Lamelo Ball, whatever they're on that G League Select team, then I'm kind of interested in that, right? Yeah. Or if there's two G League Select teams with ten players each, and they get twenty guys, and those teams are playing each other against each other, that's kind of like a kind of like a Nike Hoop Summit or a McDonald's All American game, but with like an NBA G League type of uh, guidance to it, then maybe I'm watching that game over Duke North Carolina on a random Thursday, you know, or Friday or yeah. Saturday, whatever. But, I mean, for the most part, they got one or two guys in that system or two or three guys. Um, I- I'm probably still going to pick the Duke-North Carolina game over, over a G League game with two yeah. or three top-level high school players. Because
1: if you are – as we wrap up here, if you are a basketball fan, one thing you like about college, regardless of who's playing, is the passion the fans have for it, the patentry, the tradition – The kids dressing up with the paint on their face, going crazy in the stands, you know, um, the Cameron crazies, those type of things. That's part of college basketball now, whether we like it, it just is. You don't realize how much that is part of the what you're watching on TV is, you know, uh, the camera angles, the, the, the fans that's especially true like you said on Tobacco Road and and on in strong conferences like ACC SEC Big Ten you know they just they care about it there's that as as both of our guests said this week there's that base that is not changing again they survived Lucy McGrady they survived Rashard Lewis they survived Tyson Chandler you know guys going straight to the league it's just it is what it is. Um, I missed it, to tell you the truth, because I would have loved to see Kevin Garnett at, at Michigan or, or, you know, whomever, uh, Ke- Kobe Bryant. I uh, would have loved that. But we're in the reality we are now, Devin. Um, as we wrap up here, you know, we'll, we don't know where this is going exactly. When are yep. we going to get back to, to ball? I, I don't know. Um I do know that the window is going to be smaller for these prospects. So in my opinion, that means there's going to be more mistakes and
0: more reason for us to break them down. Exactly. More reason for us to talk shit. And, you know, we don't know when we're going to get back to basketball, but I will tell you someone who, do, who does know when we're going to get back to basketball, Dr. Dinos himself, if you go to his go to his uh, Twitter timeline, at Chirgonis30, he has all the answers. Uh, at the very first chance that a window opens up that an event can be run, you can count on Dr. D, Dr. Dinos Strigonis to run an event. Um, but until that time, Ronnie and I are going to be here for you on this podcast front uh, from our respective homes, me in Fountain Valley, California, Ronnie Flores. And uh, I'm not going to say where he's from because he's probably got people looking for him, uh, gambling dead or something. I don't know. But uh, you can find us on the various streaming platforms, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud is probably the most safe uh, place to find us. But until next week, um, Ronnie and I are going to sign off for the final time this week.